this passage, I, I love this story for a lot of different reasons. But it's talking about the paralyzed man that was brought to Jesus. And the manner in which he was brought is unusual. And how Jesus responded to him and to the men that were around him and to the crowd that was around Jesus, it's, it's all, it's almost all of it is unique. And yet it fits right in with how Jesus was interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees and regular people. And this same story is also found. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 5, which we'll be in today. But it also parallels uh, here in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2. Basically, it's the same story. But Luke has some things here that is more complete in Luke. Matthew just briefly goes over it rather quickly. And Mark shares a few things, but Luke has the longer version of it. And, well, my, my favorite, I shouldn't say version, but my favorite perspective of that story. Uh, and here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is already in conflict with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. He's healed people on the Sabbath day, which didn't make them happy. He has made illusions that he's the Son of God uh, up to this point. And that really didn't make them happy, right? He is drawing people in crowds away from them, which also didn't make them happy. And that was really the core of the Pharisees' dislike. The Pharisees were worried that they were going to lose control that they had. They were worried that they were going to lose the influence that they had. And so it came from a standpoint of being greedy, selfish, you know, not, no humility at all that the Pharisees had that brought them into constant conflict with Jesus Christ. Jesus was also healing people and healing people that were possessed, all kinds of things that really up to this point hadn't really been done before in this manner. And this is going to be an, uh, just a continuation of Jesus' ministry here on earth. But I want you to think about some things. We'll read through the passage, Luke chapter 5, verse 17, and read down to 26. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy. And people believe that palsy was some kind of, there's different ideas as to what this may be, but it was something that the man couldn't walk, right? He couldn't move around normally. So it was something that would affect his entire life. He wouldn't be able to work a regular job. He'd probably have to beg or have someone take care of him. He won't be able to control, if he had seizures, he won't be able to control himself. Even if he was walking down the street, he'd just collapse and go through his seizures. We're not exactly sure what the disease was, but it deeply affected him every day. It was something that prevented him from being able to live a normal life, from being able to function as a normal human being. <clears throat> and they, halfway through verse 18... And they sought means to bring him in and delay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down to the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. So you understand what's going on here. Jesus is inside a building or inside a house. He's teaching. He's healing people. He's talking to people. People are being brought in to be healed. And this man has friends who bring him to Jesus, and they can't get in. So what they do is they climb up on the roof. Now, their roofs there are different than what our roofs here. This isn't like galvanized and things like that. Most roofs there in this area in Judea at that time had a staircase that went around the outside. 
So you'd walk up the staircase, and you could be on top of the roof, right? And then they lowered, they removed the tiles and lowered Jesus down in. Now, there's all kinds of things that the way that this tiles, these tiles could have been made. Some of the houses had an open courtyard, which had like a covering that you could remove and take off as you wanted to you know, give you shade, but also ventilation. Some people think that that's how these men lowered him down. Other people think that it was a thatched, solid roof that had a covering of tile to help the rain run off, and that they actually took the tile off and then ripped out the roof, like right there to lower him, which would have been the most dramatic, right? Because there would have been dirt and all kinds of other things and plaster falling down through, uh, down into the floor. And then there are other people who think it was just, you know, there's boards that went across, and then the tile went over top of the boards, so all they had to do was remove the tile and then lower him down through. Either way, it was a dramatic entrance, right? Either way, I'm not sure if these men knew the owner of the house. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, right? I don't know if they stayed around to help him fix it. I don't know what went on there, right? But any case, it was a dramatic entrance, and they lowered him right in front of Jesus. So if Jesus was in the center of the room, they just lowered him right there in front of Jesus. And I want you to think about this. Look at what Jesus does and what Jesus says. After they lower him into the midst in verse 20, and when he saw their faith, look, he's not talking about the man's faith. He's including the friends either with the man's faith or he's simply talking about these friends, their faith in what Jesus could do for this man. He saw their faith, a plural, and, was, and uh, told him these next things that we'll go into. He said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee, which is a little bit unusual. Jesus normally would heal the person. And then talk to them about something else or talk to them further about, you know, the kingdom of God and things like that. But here, before he heals them, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And verse 21, and of course, and the scribes and the Pharisees were real happy about that. They began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were exactly right. Who could forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus was going to use this man as an example and to use this man to make the Pharisees and the scribes and people around him that he wasn't playing games about who he was. He wasn't simply making allusions to being the Son of God or to being the Messiah, that he was there to take the role of the Messiah, that he had the power of God to forgive sins. He was trying to make that crystal clear to the Pharisees and the scribes of who he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be God. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet that could do miracles. He wasn't just in the right place at the right time in a social setting. He was claiming to be God and claiming to have the power to forgive sins. Verse 22, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say that sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? And what Jesus is trying to say here is like, look, I can say his sins are forgiven, but you don't know if his sins are forgiven or not. I can tell him to rise up and walk, and all that is is words. But I want you to pay close attention to what's about to happen, because the words that I say have power. The words that I say can make a difference in someone's life. The things that I say are true and accurate. And so he goes to the man, but... That ye may know, verse 24, that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, this man, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, 
and go into thy house. Now, before we get to verse 25, we know what's going to happen, right? Um, years ago when Chloe was, was real young, she broke her arm right at the elbow. So they put it in a cast, right? And we knew it hurt, but I was kind of forgetful to let her know that when your arm's been in a cast for six weeks, when you first try to straighten out your arm, you first of all, you can't all the way, and second of all, it hurts, right? Because the muscles have been in that fixed position for so long that they can't straighten out and they can't function like normal muscles. So Chloe was even mad at me that she was hurting, right? Because she thought, as soon as this cast is getting off, I'm going to be good to go, right? And they got the cast off, and she's like, ow, right? And she was mad that I hadn't informed her that was going to happen. And it was my fault. I forgot to tell her, look, when they first get the cast off, you know, it's going to be tight. It's going to be stiff. It's going to be sore. I'd forgotten all of those things, and I had not warned her about that, right? Well, think about this man. Whatever the situation was in this man, the word palsy means that he's paralyzed, he has muscles that are in a state of atrophy. He can't simply, even if he had the cast, if we want to say it that way, removed, he won't be able to walk, pick up his bed and walk out under normal circumstances. And yet God just didn't remove the palsy from him, but God also worked a deeper miracle, if you want to say it that way, and worked on those muscles and made them to where they could function like normal muscles, where he could function like a normal person, where he could go about his life in a normal way, something he had not been able to experience. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, middle of verse 24, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. Verse 25, And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay. He departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, verse 26, and they glorified God. Now, that's talking about the crowd that was around him and his friends, not the Pharisees and the scribes. And were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. And that's where our title comes from, Strange Things. And I want you to think about this. As we look at this passage, I love this story, but I want you to think about this. We must be involved in God's work. God uses us, and God uses people to do his work. Was Jesus there as the Son of God, as God healing people? Yes, he was. But I want you to think about this, and we'll go into this more detail. That man would never have met Jesus if his friends hadn't become involved in that man's life. If his friends hadn't taken it upon them that it was their responsibility to bring this man who couldn't get himself to Jesus, to bring him to Jesus then this man would have been healed. Now, flip that around for us. Jesus obviously isn't walking on the earth today, but we can take Jesus to people, can't we? We can take Jesus to people, people who can't live their normal lives as God intends them to live, people who don't know who Jesus Christ is or have inaccurate ideas of what the Bible means when it talks about us being sinners and needing salvation. All those things, God uses us to take Jesus Christ to them. Jesus Christ doesn't go around and knock on each door around us. He doesn't go and talk to our neighbors. He doesn't go and spend time in our classrooms. He doesn't go online and spend time on our Facebook pages and tell people about who he is. It is up to us to share Jesus Christ. It's not up to us to save. Jesus does that. 
It's not up to us to worry about their sin condition, except for to motivate us to take Christ to them. Jesus will work that miracle of salvation in their life. It's up to us to bring that to them, to bring Jesus Christ to them, and then allow Jesus to work on their hearts, allow Jesus to work in their lives, allow Jesus to begin to burden them about their own condition. As we think about that, I want to look at the five groups or the five categories of people, if you want to call it that. One of them, of course, being Jesus Christ. And he's not, you know, a group of people, I know that. But five different groups of people uh, that we run across to in this thing. First of all, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders. They were jealous of God working through some, someone else. They were upset that God was working around them but not through them. They were upset at the loss of power that they might have or the loss of control that they might have. And we have those same kind of people today. They call themselves religious, but they don't bring people to Christ. They call themselves religious, but they don't go out of their way to help someone who's paralyzed to bring them to Jesus. It wasn't the Pharisees that brought this man to Jesus. It wasn't the Pharisees that tore the roof off and lowered this man to Jesus. There are a lot of religious people today who claim to be religious, who claim to be good people, and they never take Christ to anybody. They think that they have it, and they're satisfied with that, but they would never take it to anybody else. They would never, ever share Christ with those that are around them. And that's a shame on them. And I hope it's not a shame on us. I hope that we never get so righteous that we forget the lost people that are around us, that we forget our own condition. And when you go through and you see there are other people in Jesus' ministry who brought people to Jesus. Sometimes his own disciples would bring their own family to Jesus Christ. It is never the Pharisees and the scribes and religious people who bring people to Jesus except for an occasion where they want to trap Jesus and accuse him, like when they brought the woman caught in adultery. That's the one person they brought to Jesus. And even that person, Jesus was able to work outside of their own sinfulness and around their own arrogance that they thought they could trap Jesus. There was another group of people here. There was the crowd around Jesus Christ, right? The crowd, they wanted to see, me and Pastor Jimmy were talking about this, they basically wanted to see the newest movie that was in town, right? And then see how good of a movie it was and see how good the show was and, wow, was the popcorn fresh and all those things, right? They wanted to see what was going on around Jesus. They wanted the food that came along with following Jesus around. And there's nothing wrong with the crowd in and of itself because Jesus would sometimes affect the crowd. Well, every time would affect the crowd, and sometimes people would come out of the crowd and become Jesus' disciples. We see at the end of the passage where it talks about they were amazed, they glorified God. They were filled with fear. But there's something else about the crowd, too. Because the crowd was there with the wrong motives, they were just there to see what was going on. They were actually blocking people from coming to Jesus Christ. Do you ever think about that? Why did the men have to climb up on the roof and rip up the roof? Because the crowd was so packed in, they couldn't get through the crowd to bring him to Christ. Right? There are a lot of people there who are watching what was going on, but not participating. There were a lot of people there who were interested in what was going to happen, as long as it was happening to someone else in front of them. Right? They would prevent people from getting through but they wanted to be close enough to see what was going on. We went down to Sovereign Grace yesterday uh, with several people, and they had their 
anniversary service, and I had written out some of these things already, and it was amazing that that was one of the key points that they talked about the whole time. People who come to church who don't get involved with anything the church is ever doing. I want you to understand that if you are part of the crowd, become involved in bringing people to Christ, of taking Christ to those that are around you. Our pastor that we went to the church that we went to in St. Petersburg in Florida, he, it's a, a big business community. There's a lot of business people that go there to that church. And he says this, look, every member here is a shareholder. What does that mean? It means that they own stock in the company that's the church there. That as they operate and as those individual people put time into the company, that makes the company either succeed or fail. And the same thing is true in church, right? Because God uses people, God will sometimes allow churches to fail if the people don't do the work. God will allow churches to fall apart if the people aren't doing the work in the right way or the people aren't working together because God uses people. He constantly and consistently uses people. And so if you're part of this church, become involved in sharing Christ. Become involved in taking Christ to those that are around us. And then there was these friends of this man, the third group, I want you to think about something about these friends. They saw the need that, that their friend had, and nothing could stop them from getting him to Jesus Christ. We don't under, know the rest of the story, but if I was a homeowner, okay, even if I was renting a house, okay, let's just say I'm at Pastor Jimmy's house. Pastor Jimmy's gone. I'm staying at Pastor Jimmy's house right now. Pastor Jimmy drives off, and I'm staying there, so I'm the man in the house at that time, right? And someone starts taking the roof off. I'm going to be a little bit concerned about that, okay? So these men had to do something that was unusual. They had to go out of their own comfort zone, if you want to say it that way, to bring this man to Jesus Christ. They had to take the consequences and say, you know what? The consequences aren't enough to stop us from bringing this man to Jesus Christ. He's our friend. We're going to get him to Jesus. If we have to pay extra money to repair this man's roof, we're going to get him to Jesus. If we embarrass ourselves by people you know, calling us names or saying bad things about us later on, we're going to bring him to Jesus Christ. We're going to take care of it. We're going to make sure that he gets there, that he gets to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he talks and the, when he shares this story with us, he talks about seeing their faith. How that they were so concerned about their friend, and they knew so much that if they knew that they could just get into Jesus Christ, his life would be changed, that Jesus saw their faith and enacted that change in their friend's life because of their faith. I want you to think about this. We're commanded to share Christ. Oftentimes, I see it in my own life. I've seen it in other people's lives also. We share Christ. People reject us or reject the message that we have. And so we stop sharing Christ. And yet God commands us to still share Christ. We need to trust him to be obedient to his commands. When he says share Christ, we should trust him that as long as we're sharing Christ, he will work on people's lives. Like I said before, it's not up to us to save people. We know that. It's only Jesus that can save. But it is up to us to share him.
And God commanded us to do that. So as these men had great faith, we also need to have faith that if God's commanded us to do it, that God will work through his command and our obedience as we share Christ. Yes, we're going to get rejected. We may suffer some consequences. We may lose friends, acquaintances, things like that. But there will be people who will come to know Jesus Christ because of what we do in their lives. Because of the faith that we exhibit simply in obeying God. Simply in showing obedience to his commands. And of course, now there's a fourth person, and that was the man himself. The man himself was helpless on his own. He needed people in his life to share Christ with him, to bring him to Christ. If those friends hadn't been in his life, he never would have met Jesus Christ in these circumstances, as far as we know. He had to have these friends to bring him to Christ. He was completely helpless. And I want you to understand something. And the flip side of that, our friends who are unsaved, our family members who are unsaved, it is our responsibility to share with them because they are helpless. They're not just going to figure it out on their own. They're going to watch us. They're going to listen to the words we say. They're going to listen to the things that we do. All, all those things are going to be instrumental in bringing them to Christ. They're helpless on their own. Lost sinners need something working on them on the outside to bring them to Christ. A lost sinner either, either has to hear the Word of God or open up the Word of God or be shared Christ with a Christian to be able to come to Jesus Christ. And some, something has to work on them on, from the outside. They're helpless on their own. And then, of course, the final person in this, the fifth one, was Jesus himself, the Savior. He was the only one that actually affected all the other four groups of people, right? He had a great impact on the man. He healed the man, forgave him of his sins. He had an impact on those friends. Those friends knew Jesus enough that if they could bring him to Jesus, he would be changed. And Jesus saw their faith and allowed that to work something that was going throughout the whole room, the, through the whole neighborhood. He also had an effect on the crowd. The crowd was drawn to him in the first place. The crowd ended up glorifying God at the end after the, all this happened. And he also had an effect on the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were upset and mad and angry. And I want you to understand something. As we share Christ with others, Jesus Christ has an effect on everybody we share it with. There may be those groups of people who are mad and self-righteous and think that, you know, they're good enough and they don't want to hear what we have to say. There is going to be those people who they're listening to what we have to say, but it has no effect on them. It doesn't change them. There are going to be people who listen to the words we say about Jesus Christ, and it will impact them in a tremendous way. Jesus has effects on all of those people. He affected that whole group of people. And I want you to think about something else here. As God affected all those groups of people, all of them were basically had to make a decision of what they were going to do with Jesus Christ. It's not up to us to have to convince them. Yes, we have to use the right word sometimes. We have to be polite. We have to share Christ in such a way that they can understand what we're trying to say. But I want you to understand that it is out of our hands what that person does with Jesus Christ. We simply share. It's up to them to accept Jesus Christ. We shouldn't take it personally if someone gets upset with the message that we have. And so with our main point here, I'm going to go through three things quickly. We've talked about the five groups. And I want you to think about the group that's the friends. 
how they got involved in God's work. I'm going to go through three things quickly. When we become involved in God's work, the first thing that happens to us is our faith is exercised. When you exercise, you become strong, right? I'm surprised by how so many people here, especially the children, have gotten so big, right? They've grown up. Many of you have said, boy, Ethan is so tall. And he is. He's getting tall. And some of that's because he exercises. The other part is because he eats all the time, right? All those things. You know, and Brother Ronnie, we won't talk about how we're growing, right? That's a different kind of growth, right? It has nothing to do with exercise. But exercise promotes growth. Faith is no different. We have to exercise our faith. And sharing Christ is a huge exercise in our faith. It is difficult for me oftentimes to share Christ with a stranger. We were fixing lights out in the front of the church. I think it was Friday, right? Was it Thursday or Friday? And we went to Bagwell and Sings. And Pastor Jimmy, yeah, if you ever seen the track with the dots on it, right? Pastor Jimmy was sh- showing the one guy the track and flipping it around. And the guy was like, wow, he calls his friend over. So Pastor Jimmy showed the same thing to that friend. That guy called two more guys over. I'm sure there were like four guys, and he showed the same thing. And while that's going on, I'm, I, was already, I was at the one counter, so Pastor Jimmy's probably where my daughter is now, right? Sharing with four different guys, you know, and they, were, they had, one of them had walked off later on, but sharing with four different guys that track and then giving each of them a track. And then another man looked around the corner because he heard all that. So he just kind of like looked around the corner. He was watching and watching and seeing what was going on, but stayed in the background, right? Those five people were affected because Pastor Jimmy just shared a track and shared it in a certain way with them. Now, that's a difficult thing to do. Sometimes it pushes you out of your comfort zone, right? Sometimes it's difficult to share Christ. But I want you to understand that it exercises our faith to the point where we, be, we become more proficient in sharing Christ, where we can share Christ in such a way that people are less prone to think, well, that's just, you know, something small in that person's life, that it means something to us. We need to exercise our faith. And when we get involved in God's work, our faith becomes stronger. It becomes increased. Our faith is exercised. And then the other thing that we saw so clearly is that our friends meet Jesus. This man's only hope was that these friends would take him to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, we said, they weren't going to come pick him up. They weren't driving around in the van picking up all the people or a camel, picking up all the you know, people that needed healing and bringing them to Jesus, which, if you think about it, that's what the Pharisees ought to have been doing. They ought to have been bringing people where they could have been healed, but they weren't doing that at all. The crowd, they were blocking the way. They were a hindrance. So when we enact in our friends' lives, they're brought to Christ. Our friends get to see Jesus. They get to meet Jesus. And then finally, the third thing, our lives become an example. You can even go beyond the fact that we're using this story 2,000 years later to help be an example to us. And all the churches that have ever used this story as an example of how to live. Even beyond that, we're within the story itself. Jesus used this in a great way. These friends were bringing their friend to be healed. That was their concern, that he was going to be healed. But Jesus took that and used it to help him get to Calvary, to help him get to the cross. 
Because while the friends were thinking about their friend being healed, Jesus was thinking about the cross. Even before he went to the cross, he forgave this man of his sins. The Pharisees and the scribes saw that. This was part of what motivated them to get Jesus crucified, right? This was part of Jesus' plan to come here and die for us. He was going to use this man to work part of his plan. Now, that was way beyond what his friends were even thinking about. His friends just wanted him to be healed. And yet, Jesus was going to also work in him spiritually and then use that in the bigger spiritual battle that Jesus was involved in and that we're now part of. He was going to use that and this man's friends to help him in that battle that he was in. Use it as an example against the scribes and the Pharisees. Use it as an example to that big crowd. We don't even know who was in the crowd. There could have been people who gave their lives over to Jesus Christ later on that were in this crowd that we don't know about and we will never know about until we get to heaven and hear about who was in the crowd. There is a chance later on we do hear about some Pharisees and scribes that did convert and become Christians. Some of those might have been in this very group. And you cannot deny the fact that this passage, that Jesus used this passage to let people know that he was claiming to be the Son of God, that he was claiming to be the only one that could forgive sins, that he was claiming to be God himself, being able to wash away someone's sins. All that Jesus brought out, way beyond what the friends possibly could have done. I want you to understand that when we share Christ, there are times that God will work in someone's lives something far greater than what we ever could have possibly imagined. And that God is working a far greater picture than the little sight that we can see, the little glimpse that we have, that something greater is going on when we share Christ with those that are around us. I want you to think about in your own lives, how involved are you in God's work? How involved are you in sharing Christ? How involved are you in being obedient to God's commands to be a testimony and to be a witness?